Baker Mayfield, undraftable, off my board. The Cleveland Browns select Baker Mayfield. Welcome to Browns Film Breakdown, part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm your host, Jake Burns, writer at the OBR, coming at you guys following this heated Baker Mayfield um, interview situation. I will just touch on this by saying um, there is a level of, um, trying to think of the perfect way to put this, there's a level of seniority that happens up there, the way questions are asked and the, 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 the personalities that are in that building uh, within Berea. And sometimes, you know, these players who are, who are heated or they, they're, they're, everything's on the line for them week to week get tired of the same way that some members of the media approach these questions, the situations, how they ask and interrupt. And I think that that stuff was meant to boil over there. At some point, I'm actually surprised it took this long. Between Tony and Baker, there have been a lot of badgering back and forth. I can tell that Baker has a disdain based on how he was treated before he was brought here. He's been lighthearted about it, but he was pushed to the limit today. And in being pushed to the limit, it caused him to uh, break in a sense. And um, I, I don't blame the way Baker framed it. He probably shouldn't have said a couple things he said in his, his tirade there. But when you keep getting interrupted and you keep getting pushed, that stuff is going to happen. And... Um, and it boiled over. It boiled over today, and I'm not surprised by the amount of which it boiled over. And um, people are going to frame it in a, in a way to even Matt Miller on Twitter has even done about Deshaun Watson. That question Deshaun Watson got was different. It's about schematic stuff. It's about stuff that he can provide a thoughtful answer to. Baker's trying to explain the end of the half and keeps getting interrupted with somebody telling him the situation's different, so on and so forth. And eventually a guy is going to get tired of that. And he got tired of it, and uh, it broke. And it, it, it's a situation that's unfortunate. But there are characters up there who do the same act, and eventually it's going to boil over with people who don't want to stand for it anymore. So that's where I'm at with it. I'm not surprised by it. People will run with it. It'll be all over the early sports talk shows tomorrow, whatever, whatever. Um, Take it as you will. You either like the guy the way he is or you don't because it's not going to change. He's going to continue to be the way he is no matter what. And right now he's more chippy than usual because of the situation the Browns find themselves in. And um, that's unfortunate, and hopefully he can come out of it. And I, You know, it's still early for this kid. This is the first adversity he's faced in a real season in terms of um, this kind of losing and this kind of unsuccessful play. I'm very interested to see how he handles all of this moving forward. It's fascinating to me. And, um, you know, we'll see what we got. I, that, that's all I'll say. He's in year two of a, of a four, maybe five-year contract. We'll see what we have with this quarterback in the coming years, these next two years, this last half of this year, and in the next two years to see if the Browns got that pick right or if they uh, unfortunately got that pick wrong. So we'll, we'll be watching closely to see if he changes as a person, changes the way he approaches the media. Um, some people don't want him to change. I, I want him to be what he's most comfortable being, but I do think there's a pick-your-battle element that has to go on there, and hopefully he can find and strike that right balance over time. Let's shift our attention to the Broncos. They are a 2-6 and six football team, but they're a deceptive 2-6. and six. They, uh, they have lost three games by a field goal. They have been uh, defensively one of the better teams in the NFL. I think that's pretty evident. They have talent on that side of the football. They are down Joe Flacco, which is, um, you know, from a veteran quarterback standpoint, somebody who's played well against Cleveland over his career, an important note. It is, it is uh, 
um, a situation in which they are starting Brandon Allen, a young quarterback who has not had success in the NFL level, who has really not started and has not um, proven anything. So there's limited film, there's limited understanding of who he is, but it is not a talented quarterback in terms of what the Browns have faced recently, and it should be an advantage for um, Cleveland in that regard. If you're looking at Denver, what they do well offensively, they, they run the football pretty well. They have two talented running backs, Philip Lindsay and Royce Freeman. Lindsay has ran for 492, Royce Freeman 359. Six touchdowns between them, four for Lindsay, two for Freeman, and both pretty active in the passing game. 51 receptions total between the two, and 160 yards for Lindsay and 182 for Freeman. So those guys, it's a better split and balance this year. They were more Philip Lindsay tilted last year. They found a better balance. Uh, they have Noah Fant, the young Iowa tight end, who's got 20 catches for 185 and a touchdown. Their best receiving threat, Cortland Sutton, uh, 363, sorry, 636 on 39 catches for three touchdowns. Emmanuel Sanders, now gone, is not a part of things. Their next best receiver is Deshaun Hamilton, the Penn State product, who has 11 grabs, 106. Outside of Sutton and the one touchdown for Fant, they have no receiving touchdowns. Um, uh, to, to you know, to account for Joe Flacco has only thrown six touchdowns to five interceptions, so they are limited pass production team. They run a similar offense to what the 49ers run. Rich Gangarello, their offensive coordinator for the Broncos, comes from that coaching tree, so they will try to do some of that wide zone stretch stuff and play action off of it. It'll be interesting. The good thing for the Browns is they've already played the 49ers. They've already played the Rams, who run similar schemes. They're used to how to defend them. Hopefully, they can have some good results um, against it. Defensively, they have put up four sacks by Vaughn Miller, four sacks by Derek Wolf, four sacks by Demarcus Walker. They started very slow in that department. Um, Justin Simmons, their safety, and Todd Davis, their linebacker, lead with 45 and 43 tackles, respectively. Two interceptions for Justin Simmons, a safety, a good football player. Um, one of their better players overall, nine passes defended. Uh, Kareem Jackson is an interception. Alexander Johnson, the linebacker, has an interception. Chris Harris, really nice nickel corner, very good football player, has an interception as well. They are uh, very good in the secondary, one of the top four graded pass coverage units by Pro Football Focus. And they get after you up front, Derek Wolf. Um, like I said, Demarcus Walker, they are down Bradley Chubb for the season, so that does have an impact. But it is a good defense. It's very well coached Vic Fangio coming from. Um, coaching successful defenses throughout his career as a defensive coordinator obviously has a good mind for it and they do very well with the talent that they have on that side of the football the single biggest weakness for the 49ers is without a doubt their offensive line Garrett Bowles has been a regular turn style at the left tackle position Dalton Risner the rookie who has done a nice job the Kansas State product um, Ronald Leary been very up and down Juwan James who's got who was on the uh um, you know the injury report, but is practicing. He has been inconsistent at right tackle. They thought this group would be better. Um, you know Jeff Hireman helps out at tight end, but they are not very uh, effective as an offensive line. They are not playing a cohesive brand of football up front, and it's a new scheme. It's a lot to take on, but they are not playing very well up front, and um, that is you know leaked into how ineffective their offense has been and has leaked into Joe Flacco's struggles. Now, Joe Flacco, as we'll hear from our guest in a little bit, is not the Joe Flacco he used to be in terms of being able to get around a little bit. So maybe Brandon Allen is a guy who can get around a little bit more. Maybe he's better off the boot action stuff. I don't know. We don't know. We're just going to have to see what it looks like once it all comes together. Um, it'll be very interesting to see where, uh, in fact, uh, this, this offense is with Brandon Allen. But there's no doubt about it. The Browns are at an advantage. They have to win this football game, even though you're going to Denver and there's the altitude change. Uh, the Browns are going out there a day early since it's an earlier game. It should help them get acclimated a little bit. They have to win. This is as must-win a game for Cleveland as it could possibly be because they have to, as I've mentioned on Twitter um, earlier, they have to get to 6-6 six and six 
at least to have a shot in the last four games. They have a very good shot to go three and one over their next four games. They have to do that to get to five and five. Then you get to six and six, and then you have four games: Cincinnati, Miami, Baltimore, and Arizona to really make a push for the playoffs. And they'll have that opportunity, but they have to do the work. And this is one game where you got to get your guys right, go on the road, and make it happen in a hostile environment. Because even though they're two and six, and things are frustrating in in Denver and it's boiling over, Mile High is no easy place to play a football game. It never has been, and it never will be. Even if the talent level is not altogether too high um, in Denver, they still present a unique challenge. So it'll be fun to watch the Browns go there and uh, compete and hopefully, like we said, like we saw last year, um, come away with a win because I think that'll be important for for uh, you know this situation trying to jump into getting to five and five or six and six is getting this win and springboarding themselves into a relatively manageable schedule the last half of the year. But before we get to our guests, I'm going to talk to you about two companies doing fantastic things. ShipStation, if you sell anything, you're shipping anything, this is the company to go with. No matter if you're selling on Amazon, Etsy, your own website, ShipStation brings you all your orders into that one simple interface. You can manage it from your cell phone, which is vital for people who are on the run and constantly working. They work with all the major carriers at ShipStation. That's USPS, FedEx, UPS. You can compare, choose the best shipping solution for you, and they even offer you those discounts that are only afforded to Fortune 500 companies to make sure you're getting the best deal possible. ShipStation is the number one choice for online sellers. It's pretty easy to see why that's the case because they they give you those best rates available and they do it all the time. Take the hassle out of holiday shipping this year. Let ShipStation help you handle it with ease. Use the promo code BLUE, B-L-U-E, to get a 60-day free trial. That's two months free of no hassle, stress-free holiday shipping. When you're shipping those guests to your nieces and nephews and aunts and uncles and grandmas and grandpas all over the country, give them that... Um, you know, give yourself the ease of mind and, and go with ShipStation and get this promo code for two free months of using this company. So go to ShipStation.com, click on that microphone at the top of the page and type in blue, ShipStation.com, enter that offer code blue, ShipStation, make ship happen. And then I'm also going to talk to you guys about who I talk to you about all the time, Harry's Razors. Could not believe in this company more myself. I constantly have to shave, usually only for my beard purposes down around the neck, but it's important in a sensitive area to use quality blades, and that's what you get with Harry's Razors. Quality, durable blades at a fair price. Only $2 a blade. It's super convenient. Those blade refills are delivered directly to your door on your schedule with or without a subscription. That's the beauty of Harry's Razors. There's no risk in you trying them out. If you don't love your shave, let them know. They'll give you a full refund. Listeners of the Browns Film Breakdown Podcast can redeem Harry's trial set. This trial set is money, and you need to try it. Harry's.com slash BlueWire. That's where you need to go to get this awesome offer that gives you a weighted ergonomic handle for a firm grip 5-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, which is awesome. Rich lather shave gel with aloe to keep your skin hydrated, also awesome. And a travel blade cover to help you keep your razor dry and easy to grab on the go. Again, guys, go to harrys.com slash bluewire. Start shaving better today. All right, so we are going to jump over with our podcast guest, which I'm excited about. It's going to give us some great insight on the Broncos. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. We are going to talk to Ben Albright. You, you've probably seen Ben all over Twitter. He's one of the best in terms of um, you know connections with uh, players and teams and where things are going and shaking out. And um, you can also listen to his stuff on KOAC Colorado, which is an iHeartMedia um, you know endeavor. And he's just in a myriad of different places for all the right reasons. He does great work in the NFL. So when we're talking about the Broncos, no better guest to bring on. Ben, thanks for carving out a couple minutes for me, man. 
Yeah, man. Absolutely. Anytime. Yeah. So I'm looking for sort of when, when Browns fans are looking at what the Broncos are, they see the record, they see two and six. Um, they, they know Joe Flacco's out. We have a deep history with Joe Flacco, who's fared really well against the Browns in his career. Uh, you know, and that is that has taken a turn. Joe is out. Sort of where where are they? Right. I know there has been new rumors about they were trying to be sellers. Um, it's been an up and down endeavor for Elway. Where are they right now? State of the Broncos. Well, let's start with that. They, they were not trying to be sellers. Uh, they, they listened to a few offers for different people, but they, they were not trying to be sellers. They had one player that wanted out. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was Emmanuel Sanders. He was on the last year of his deal. Uh, and so they traded him to the Niners. And that was something that had been in the works, uh, honestly, since the preseason when the Niners came out here to practice for joint practices. Um, you know, he, he really um, kind of latched on to, to what they were doing over there. And, you know, there was kind of some talk that maybe the Broncos would bring in Nick Mullins for Emmanuel Sanders kind of thing at the time. And San Fran ultimately didn't want to do that. So it ended up being draft picks. But um, that was the only real player that was, that was on the move. Um, they, they, you know, they listened to some calls about Chris Harris. Uh, and they, they were like, look, we're going to get a third round compensatory if he leaves. We're trying to extend him. Um, mm-hmm. So if you're willing to beat that compensatory, then you know, we'll consider it. But nobody did. Uh, and then there were some made up reports. Uh, they had no point shot Devon Miller for any reason about anything at any point in time. Uh, and Derek Wolf at no point was was being shopped either. Um, those were just made up reports that were out there people trying to click bait so they're not sellers they think they're they think they're close and to be honest with you if you go back and look um this year mm-hmm. you know this is a team that's lost three games in the final minute and a half uh they've had the lead or scored a go-ahead touchdown in the final minute and a half and lost all the Colts, jaguars um and the bears uh you know last second field goal there and so it, they, they feel like that this they could have easily been five and you know two at this point five and three um, and instead they wind up two and six and they're, they're competitive, but they're just not winning. And so, uh, they feel like that there's, there's a couple of holes, um, obvious holes, the tackle positions. You've got a guard playing right tackle, Elijah Wilkinson, and, uh, Garrett holds is, is pretty much, uh, excuse me, Garrett Bowles is a known commodity. <laughs> um, you can kind of see where I'm going with that. Uh, the quarterback position, obviously. And then they, they've had some injuries and some death problems at corner. Uh, they're going to have to figure out. Probably need nose tackle too. But but overall, they feel like they're a good football team. that's competitive. They're just not quite getting it done right now. And um, so that that's they, they feel like they're on the rise. They feel like it's it's kind of like you know the Browns are a better football team on paper than their record. The Broncos may not be a better football team on paper than the record, but they feel like that they played better than the record. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I think you look at them, and um, you know you hear the news that. That, uh, that Joe Flacco's out, which in, I think a lot of Browns fans' mind, they, they automatically try to chalk that up as a W, whatever, whatever. But, you know, Brandon Allen is interesting to me, Ben. He's, he's you know, he's a six-round pick uh, by the Jaguars. 2016, bounces out of Jacksonville, goes to L.A. Then he, he lands in Denver. You know, what's interesting is the fit with Flacco and Rich Scangarello's offense, which is, which is based on that wide zone play-action boot stuff, comes from that San Francisco tree, is – I'm not sure that Joe. I haven't watched enough film to feel great about it, but I'm not. I'm not entirely sure that Joe was perfect for that system. Do you think they feel good about you know all the other nonsense about what his preseason numbers are, or whatever? Do they feel okay about Brandon taking over here and being you know putting them in a position to at least feel like he can be successful? I I think so. I mean, short term, Brandon's going to be a, a, a one to three game stopgap either way. Um, you know, not more than that. It, it, he's really just the stopgap in between Joe Flacco and, and Drew Locke. 
Um, and so, yeah, he's got the experience, uh, obviously, with McVay. And they feel like they can probably open the book up a little bit more. Joe Flacco used to be a fit for this scheme. Mm-hmm. Uh, honestly, his best his best career year, arguably, was with Gary Kubiak as the OC running the same setup um, you know, in Baltimore a few years ago. And that's kind of what brought Joe Flacco here. The problem is, is that this Joe Flacco is kind of a shell of himself. I mean, uh, I, I'd say he's a statue, but I don't want to slander statues. Um <laughs> No, it's it's I mean, the, the dude makes Drew Bledsoe look like Michael Vick back there. It's ridiculous. But he when you've got a bad line tackles that can't protect and Joe Flacco, uh, who's not mobile, Joe never learned how to step up in the pocket. And if you watch the tape, go go back to the tape in this season, you're going to see a guy who hits those five and seven step drops and just plants. And, and when he does that, that gives the uh, that shortens the edge rush arc. You can take a straight line back to the quarterback. It's going to get you sacked. And so what that what's happened now is you've got a you've got receivers that aren't overly fast, a quarterback that's not mobile, and tackles that can't protect well. And so Rich Gangarello's had to go hyper conservative with his game plans. And so jo- John Elway's mad because he's like, well, if I'd won a damn Case Keenum, I could have kept Case Keenum. Yeah. And and Joe Flacco's just dumping the ball down right and left instead of going deep like he used to, and and, and all this kind of stuff. So there's a chicken and egg argument here, and they hope that Brandon Allen and his, uh, you know, not that he's super fast or anything, but he's at least more mobile than, than Flacco, uh, will allow them to to extrapolate off the boot action game. You know, you get the ball running it left with Phil Lindsay and Royce Freeman, and then you come back boot action right and try to hit those deep crossers, and, and they're hoping that'll open it up for a couple of games. Yeah, it's uh, it's it seems like a pretty balanced offense, better split between Lindsay and Freeman this year. Uh, Cortland Sutton's doing some impressive stuff, playing good football. Uh, it'll be interesting to see Deshaun Hamilton step up a little bit now with with um, with Emmanuel gone, but but I'm 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 paying specific attention to defensively. They're missing Bradley Chubb, which obviously hurts a little bit. I know Von Miller got off to a slow sack start. I mean, the whole team did, as far as I recall. I'm sort of watching from afar. But uh, where are they defensively? I know that they're a top four coverage unit according to Pro Football Focus. Some some really good talent in that secondary. Um, so yeah, what you know? I guess my question would be, what do the Browns have to do to to put up points on this defense? Well, you got to be able to run the ball effectively. Um, it, it can be run on. This is a defense. It's, it's interesting because the, the philosophically, Vic Fangio is almost the opposite of what they've had for the last five or six years. Uh, even though the, the the way they align is pretty similar, um, you know, using under fronts, you, you see a uh, a team that philosophically is different. Wade Phillips' philosophy is put my guys on an island. Um, I'm gonna put my DBs on an island, maybe a one high zone, and send the house after the quarterback. Vic Fangio's philosophy is I'm dropping everybody back in umbrella zone and keep play in front of you and i'm gonna send the least amount of people that i need to send to get to the quarterback Mm -hmm. um and so you know it's it's ideologically a different defense in that regard um they're they're finally starting to figure out how to get the sacks uh derek wolvon have started to come alive malik reed is actually a pretty good player he's kind of filled in that shaq barrett role uh being the rotational guy and then he's been thrust into starting he's been pretty good but you can run on him he's a little soft in run coverage um you know, once they made the switch to Alexander Johnson uh, as the other inside linebacker, it's really when this thing took off. They had a Mike Purcell at the nose and moved Shelby Harris from the nose over to the, you know, to the other end position, and then uh, um, and brought Johnson in. And, and, and Purcell has been uh, better 
at getting that interior push than Harris was. Um, and then, uh, you know, Johnson's really a tone setter. He's a thumper out there. I mean, the dude will just blast you. Uh, and he's, he's built thick, too. I mean, he's, he's, he's a big boy. Um, so it's, you know, that, that's kind of been the thing. Josie, they're, they're athletically limited with their inside linebackers, but they'll hit you. Todd Davis, a downhill guy. Uh, Josie's kind of, Josie Jewell's kind of a run funnel guy. They don't do well going away from the ball, but Alexander Johnson's kind of bridged the gap a little bit. Um, but, but anyway, d- defensively, the way to beat them, you're going to have to be able to run on them. You just, you just do. You have to be able to run um, because if you can run, that'll open other things up because they're not going to let you throw. Uh, Kareem Jackson back back there at the strong safety will hit you. Justin Simmons is a ball hawk at the free safety, um, and you know Chris Harris is Chris Harris. The one thing that you're going to do if you're going to pass the ball, you're going to pick on whoever they're rotating through on the other side. Yadam has been a liability. Um, Bosby was very good while he was in, but now he's hurt. He's done for the year. Uh, and then you, you've got a couple of guys in Devonta Harris and Duke Dawson that have filled in fairly well, uh, but they've been exploitable at times as well. So uh, if you're going to win against the Broncos, your wide receiver two is going to going to have to be able to step up against uh, whoever's rotating through over there, and you're going to have to be able to run the ball. Yeah, that's great insight, and I appreciate that. I think Browns fans will uh, appreciate that too. I, I'm looking at the schedule for them the rest of the way. They go. They obviously have Cleveland here, then the bye, and um, you know with Cleveland's schedule, it's the inverse where they started out with a really ridiculously challenging schedule, and then they sort of ease into a much more comfortable second half. Um, I would say Denver's second half is not is not easy. To be nice, they go Minnesota, Buffalo, Chargers, Texans, Chiefs coming out of that bye. Um, there are stupid questions that get asked all the time. This might be in that category of stupid question, but is this a must win? And, and I asked that question because do you think that the must win phase has already passed? Or do you think that if they win this game, they got a shot to finish out the rest of the year with a shot at the playoffs? Um, I, I think they're going to take it week to week and try to be, try to win football games. But in terms of winning for the playoffs, I think the must win has already passed. Okay. Um, I, you could, that, that Chiefs game was the backbreaker, to be honest. You got Kansas City on a short week uh, when they were reeling from dropping three in a row, uh, and you came out there and laid an egg. And that's what Pat Mahomes getting hurt in the first quarter. That really was, was the one. You, they had all the confidence in the world coming into that thing, and they got beat. Uh, and they couldn't run the ball effectively. They couldn't do anything. The, the offense was turning over. The defense played admirably in that game. I know 30 points were put up, but the offense gave three short fields to the uh, uh, to the Chiefs and a, a free uh, free touchdown to them. So um, it's you know it's tough. And then the Colts had another back-breaking last-second loss. You've had three games uh, that you've lost in the last minute and a half. You've played four games where you've held your opponents under 16 points and only come away two and two in those four. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. It's it's really a situation where at this point it's about getting the offense on track and hoping you win games. Uh, but the must-win portion for the for the Broncos it's it's over. Gotcha. Good stuff. I think the Browns are hovering in that territory. If they end up dropping this one, it's going to get really dicey quickly for them. So it's going to be fascinating. Even with you know two teams with four total wins, I still think this is one of the more intriguing games of Week Nine. So Ben, I appreciate it. You guys can follow him at Albright NFL on Twitter. You probably already are. If you're not, you should. Ben, thanks for taking some time, buddy. Big thanks again to Ben Albright for jumping on and joining us on Browns Film Breakdown. I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast as usual. Appreciate you guys following along. Appreciate you guys clicking that subscribe button there on iTunes and listening to everything we put out. We just put out a State of the Browns in 2019 with Brendan Leister. It was a great podcast. A little long, but there's a lot to discuss with where this team is. Great opportunity against Denver. Do hope they make the most of it. Should be a fun football game. Another late afternoon Sunday game. Enjoy it. Enjoy your week, guys. We'll come back at you Sunday night as usual. Appreciate you, and go Browns. <laughs>